This edition of the Generations Radio Program originally aired in 2016. For additional shows on hundreds of topics, search our archives at generations.org. Welcome, friends, to the Generations Broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host with you today. And today we're going to talk about making an impact. Seems like everybody wants to make an impact. I certainly have wanted to make an impact since I ran for student body president of my university back in 1986, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And I remember the, the, the interest I had in getting involved in media and all the rest. It was, I had a desire to get out there and make an impact for the Lord. And, and uh, so, but, but then how does this happen? How do we really make an impact and, and an impact on what? And what is an impact? I think we got to get back to that from time to time, too. And that's going to pretty much set the direction for everybody's life. We're to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first, and then all these things will be added unto you. So today we're going to talk a little bit about that, but there's some biographical stuff that I think is going to be helpful, too. Uh, as we bring Leanne Garfius on the program today, she's the author of a new book called Rockin' Ordinary. Holding It Together with Extraordinary Grace from Master's Books. And it's great to have Leanne with us today on the Generations Broadcast. Leanne, welcome. Thank you, Kevin. It's great to talk with you. Yeah, you know, I I like this book. It's an honest book. At at points, painfully honest, uh, refreshingly (laughs) honest. Uh, You know, and I guess the the theme is, is, is your life just another boring life? Well... No, the answer is no. <laughs> Your life is not just another boring life. What we see is a dramatic work of the grace of God in our lives, in your life, in my life. And every story is going to be a dramatic story. And I kind of summarize in the book a little bit that way. But uh, yes. yeah, how did you come up with the uh, title, Rockin' Ordinary? Well, actually, I really struggled with the title, so I'm really thankful for my friends at New Leaf Publishing uh-huh. Group, who okay. who actually came up with it when they saw some funny videos, actually, that my husband had um, posted on the internet about me. But I knew it had to have something to do with ordinary, uh-huh. because we all feel like we're a little bit too ordinary or dull, that we're not making yeah. that impact and yeah. that influence that we really yearn for. Mm-hmm. But I wanted a way to just grab readers and say you know what, you are making so much more of a difference than you even can realize. Why do you think people want to make an impact? Is their life something they want to be sure that it's meaningful and it has purpose? Is that the issue? I think there there's so many reasons. I couldn't even list them all in hours. Uh-huh. But part of it is this universal desire that we all have to know that that we have significance. And that really goes all the way back to Eve in the Garden of Eden. When she first was tempted by Satan with the fruit, she forgot that she already was tremendously beautiful and talented and amazing already. She was the perfect creation of God, His express image for all of creation to behold, and yet she still thought she needed something more. She needed to do more. She needed to achieve more. She needed more power. And that's why she reached for the fruit and tried to change things for the better, not recognizing that she already had so much. And I think this is just 
a universal struggle that we've all had ever since then because our flesh tells us that we need more, that we need to achieve more. Then the world tells us that we need titles and fame and accolade and money and power. And Satan constantly whispering to us that we are failures that we don't amount for anything, that we have no worth in Christ and no effect upon eternity. So it's just a constant struggle that each one of us face and continually become discouraged about. And I think it's crucial for us to to go vertical with this, and that's what you do in the book. You, mm-hmm. you, you just look to God, and it's it's mm-hmm. God who establishes our lives. I think of Psalm 90, where here's Moses. I mean, you talk about an impact. This guy made a huge impact, you know. I mean, he rescues the whole nation of Israel out of Egypt. But in Psalm 90, he ends by saying, Lord, establish the work of our hands. Lord, do something with us. Lord, make something meaningful out of what we've done. And so, you know, we have to trust that God is going to do something with our lives and that God sees our lives to be meaningful. And part of the the dilemma is when God is using us the most, when we actually are having the greatest ministry, mm-hmm. is often when we are the most blind to oh, how God okay. is using us. Uh-huh. One of my favorite Bible characters is Elijah, because I think the two of us, I mean, he's a man, he had a whole different lifestyle than I did, but um, we have similar personalities. So after he finishes his huge fire on the mountain revival meeting and kills all the false prophets of Baal, what's he do? He runs away, throws himself down in the wilderness next to the brook and say, kill me now, God, I'm doing nothing. I'm making no difference. Mm-hmm. So I, I think all of us, I mean, that's how we as women feel every day. We are keeping our children alive. We are ministering to our husbands and we are having this great impact through our service in the church and in the community, and yet every day we we crack open our eyes early in the morning and think about our to-do list and the chores and the laundry and the children and the mess, and we, we're just like, kill me now, God. <laughs> I cannot even do it again. It's not even going to make a difference. What's but the, that's the lie. What's the antidote? What's the antidote for that, Leanne? Well, and that's what the entire book is about, is recognizing these relationships that amount to so much more than the tasks. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we become so disillusioned and distracted by our to-do lists and the dirty floors and the piles of laundry and the, mm-hmm. the arguing at church and the destruction in politics and just all this chaos around us. And we think, I'm not making a difference in any of that. It's still going to keep happening. Because we're not looking at the relationships that we are ministering to day in and day out, the changes we are affecting in our husbands, and the, the difference we're making in the lives of these children that we're raising day in and day out, and the ministry we have to our friends and neighbors, that's where, where we need to rechange our focus. <laughs> oh, that's such bad English. But that's where we need to refocus and look at the people that God has put in our lives and these relationships that He has called us to work within. And the process is so important, and we're not to forget mm-hmm. what God is doing in the process. You start out the book with two mistakes. I think this is excellent. That there is something like an ideal life that's achievable mm-hmm. for us, Mm-hmm. And, and and yet, on the other hand, 
you know, we come back with, yeah, we are the total failure because we haven't achieved it. So, you know, we had two, two ideas that were trapped yes. between. Now, what's the right way to look at this? That's where we have to recognize that God's grace isn't through our achieving perfection. It's not by becoming a Christian celebrity and having perfectly groomed children every moment and this this passionate marriage every hour of every day and this just perfectly sinless Christian walk that just makes people throw down their sin and immediately come to Christ when we pass them on the street. This stuff doesn't happen, and that's the wrong view of what our Christian life is going to be about. But instead, recognizing that that God's grace is what it's about. God's working through our failures, our inadequacy, and overcoming our sin and imputing His righteousness in our life, and then giving us the grace to forgive and restore the broken relationships in our lives, that's where we see God working when we stop our own efforts. Hmm, that's very good. Time for personal testimony and <laughs> some things where I, I think your your book is excellent in that you bring out your own example and then how God's grace has worked in your life over the years. But let's talk about marital crises. Uh, you talk okay. about how there's the day-to-day, you know, but then there's the once every 10 years. There's that crisis, mm-hmm. the point at which you think, wow, is it all going down the tubes uh, mm-hmm. when everything sort of comes to a head? What, what makes for the crisis, do you think? And then how did you guys work through your crises? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't. It's hard to say what leads to the crises. There's some things that are preventable. I know that we we went through a marital crisis toward the end of our 20s, so we were getting around the 10-year anniversary mark, and that was because of my wrong view of success and my, my um, lifestyle of living by my to-do list and putting all my tasks and achievements and ministry and, uh, and what I did outside the home ahead of my personal relationship with my husband. And after, you know, a few years of living under that kind of stress, on top of all of the, the early stress you go through in your marriage with, with raising young children and adding to your family and figuring out how to pay the bills and getting your first house and just all the difficulties that came with that, it was too much and it nearly destroyed our marriage. But fortunately, I have a good husband who just put his foot down and said, we're going to make big changes in our relationship to make sure that we last. So there are some things that we can prevent by prioritizing our relationship, by putting safeguards in in our relationships with people of the opposite gender, by making sure that we spend lots of quality time with one another, that we're really listening and that we're working through our disagreements. But at the same time, you know, we're kind of at a at a new turning point in our relationship, my husband and I know this now because we're nearing the two decades mark. And this is a whole different set of stresses that we're facing um, as we're approaching midlife. So I think there's um, there, some of it you just can't prevent. You're going to have to weather together when you face difficult um, illnesses or financial setbacks or change of life issues. These are there's going to be trials that we can't necessarily protect against, but we're going to need the commitment and the fortitude to prioritize our relationship and be able to work with one another through these storms so that we can ultimately come out stronger. And when you say work with each other through these storms, you talk about communication. Mm -hmm. I think this is a powerful element of your chapter on marriage. 
you found ways to communicate. Now, you said that you're not mm-hmm. a natural communicator. So when things go badly, at least when things go badly, you clam up. H- how did you mm-hmm. how did you get to the point where you could communicate through that? What, what, what are the, right. the things you've learned? Right. Well, this took a lot of years of learning from my husband. We had the opposite strategy when we disagreed. I wanted to pull away and and not just not talk to him about it, but I didn't even want to be around him. Don't want to see him. Let's just ignore the fact we're even married, if at all possible, so we don't have to fight about it. But he's the opposite. He would aggressively want to get it out in the open and fix the problem. And so learning how to temper those two together so that he knew when to push forward and when to give me a little space to recover from my wounds and to put my thoughts in order. And then me, I needed to really be willing to come to the table, to lay it all out there, and to be able to argue positively. So we learned that actually fight we're fighting in a good way. We have to be willing to fight for our marriage, and that means putting the argument out there and working through it and being honest with each other about our feelings and our different viewpoints until we can come to an agreement about what's God's plan for our family and how can we move past this. You also have a chapter on raising kids and strong-willed kids dig in heels. That day your son <laughs> came to you and said, okay, you know, I'm not going to obey from here on out. Yes. <laughs> and he, he tried yeah, to commit himself to that. I mean, he, he was committed to it. <laughs> he was. He's very, he got 100% of my strong will and my husband. So okay. <laughs> he was a terror for the first couple of years of uh-huh. his life. It was really difficult. And I I was... Um, in a church where we had beepers back then for when our children were bad uh-huh. in um, children's church and every single service, uh-huh. I always got Paige to come and okay. discipline my son. And then it got to be several times in the same service. Uh-huh. And I remember just crying and saying, my husband, it doesn't even do any good anymore. I don't even know why I'm going to church. I don't even know why I'm raising this kid. He's definitely on his way to juvenile hall. <laughs> uh-huh. okay. So it, it is a, a huge struggle sometimes so, so with how, our kids. How, how did you respond? I mean, obviously you respond badly, you know, yeah. and parents, we all know how to do that. <laughs> but how do you, how yes, do you learn yes. to respond rightly to a child who's kind of digging in his heels in the long run? I mean, this goes on for years and years. Oh, yes, absolutely. And then even if it gets better, something I found in my relationship with him is I was I could be really strict with him when he was young, you know, because he only comes up to my knee, and then definitely I'm going to win eventually. So so just my being more strong-willed with, than him kind of helped with the first couple of years. And then things did get better uh-huh. for a while in elementary school, but then he goes through puberty. And then in his late teens, he goes through those, yeah. those natural desires to separate from his family. Mm. So you have that coming up in a strong-willed child, and it can be terrifying Mm -hmm. for a mother because now he's bigger than I am. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is a time when when we as parents need to have that consistency where, you know, I'm only going to say something to him that I can follow up on. I'm only Mm going to, I'm not going to threaten him with throwing him out the window because physically I cannot throw him out the window. So I need to make sure that I'm saying consequences that I can actually follow up on. But at the same time, I need to recognize I can't, I cannot physically change his heart. That's right. I cannot change his attitude toward me. I can't change his attitude toward God. But what I can do is consistently demonstrate God's love and forgiveness for him and my own humility before God in my failures. Mm-hmm. 
and pray in faith that God will change his heart as he works through those situations himself. As our children get older, I think that is the biggest trial of our faith, is giving their relationship to God over Mm -hmm. to him. Yeah, and uh, I think some of the things I've learned, uh, the one thing I've learned uh, with dealing with later teens and young adults is is, uh, just uh, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up and pray. Shut up and pray. Those are the two things I've learned really, really well. But yeah. but it is important, yeah, to, to to keep the consistent message in front of them without becoming the Holy Spirit. You know, exactly. you got it. And keeping the main thing, the main thing. Yeah. That's hard. So I had to remember maybe how exactly how long his hair is might not be the most important thing today. Mm-hmm. Maybe the mess on his bedroom floor might not be the bad, yeah. the worst thing going on. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's more important that I demonstrate to him love God and love one another. Keeping that first the, is, is the, was the personal struggle that I faced. The other thing I've learned, and I think you know, we're just about where you are, Leanne. I think I've learned mm-hmm. to batten down the hatches. And you, you say this in the book. You say you just got to be persistent. You've got to be patient. You've got to just write it out. And and I say batten down the hatches and write it out for 23 years. I mean, for a long, long, long yep. time. And I think sometimes you think, well, boy, this thing ought to work out by the time they're 10 or 14 or 18. You have these ex- expectations. But it turns mm-hmm. out that, you know, the Lord does a lot of work in our kids between mm-hmm. 17 and 23. And I think that's oh, something that a lot of people yeah. don't realize. Well, are you the same person that you were when you were 25? Thank God I'm, I'm not. not. I'm a I know. completely different person. So I need to be give my own teens and young adults grace into the space to grow up themselves, too, and to mature. But, I, you know, neither one of us would have appreciated our parents trying to micromanage mm. our personalities, and our work ethic and how we arrived at our standards and how and when we arrived at a mature relationship with God, you can't micromanage that. No one could do that for us. And we have to be able to step back and let them um, take that journey with the Lord, too. And so much of this does make an impact, but I think what people perceive is that if you just stood up in front of 10,000 people and shared Jesus with them over two to three hours, you'd make a huge impact versus mm-hmm. working with three kids for 10,000 hours. It just doesn't feel like you're accomplishing very much. But you know what? It turns out the Great Commission has more to do with teaching them to observe whatsoever Jesus has commanded, and that's a long-term project. I think we forget that. If we really believe, and this is something I have to keep reminding myself every day, Kevin, if I really believe that Jesus is the ultimate example mm-hmm. of leadership, yeah then having an intimate relationship with three or four people Mm. should be my idea of success today. Mm. That's too good. Yeah, that's too good. That's great. don't follow that example all the time, but Mm. that's what we have to strive for. (laughs) Amen. Well, I, I think the most powerful part of your book, Leanne, is your personal testimony. Your homeschool graduate, Deacon's kid, abusive background, parents' divorce. You know, it's, 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 it's very much a, a painful story uh, a, a difficult story, but an important story because so many can relate to this. Um, mm-hmm. Can you share just a little bit about what God has done with you uh, through through these years? How God took you on a journey of healing, repair, forgiveness, cleansing, restoration, and then He's used you in a mighty way through all of that. Can you can can you just 
testify to that. Yeah, yes. Amen to all of it. I think that we have, I, I hesitated for years to, to talk openly about my testimony because, because it is a common story. I feel like there are a lot of people who have gone through disillusionment mm. that grew up in Christian homes or yeah. that faced mm-hmm. um, painful circumstances in their childhood, maybe even abuse, and, and then it, it made them bitter or made them um, walk away from the Lord. And because those voices have been so loud, especially in the last few years, it made me more hesitant. I didn't want to add fuel to that fire. Mm. So I really prayed that the Lord would show me a way to be able to share how God's grace instead Mm. can use those painful circumstances to draw us closer to Him and to give us an entirely different view of our relationship with Mm. Him. So that's the challenge all of us as Christians, though, face, no matter how we grew up or what our particular trials are. But when we face a time, and often for most of us this will happen in our early 20s, when we come to a crisis and say, wait a minute, maybe the stuff I've been told isn't entirely true, or maybe evil men have perverted these words and used them for wrong purposes. And then we have to ask ourselves, then what does God really say? And do I even believe in His Word? And does it still have power in my life? So that was a, a difficult journey for me, um, coming from an abusive family, yet that was very active in church and homeschooling, and had lived in a lot of denial mm-hmm. for so long. But um, instead... I've been able to come to a different realization from studying God's Word, and what does God really say about His relationship with us as a father to a child? Mm -hmm. And what does that mean, then, to become a different kind of parent to my children? Oh, I was so scared to even homeschool Mm -hmm. or or to begin the whole parenting process, Mm -hmm. because um, a lot of our fear can become that we are trapped in Mm -hmm. these. Mm-hmm. in these um, unhealthy patterns. Right. So God had to show me a whole new way and redefine through His Word what is true love, mm-hmm. and how does a parent demonstrate that to a child? How does a spouse demonstrate that in marriage? And how does a child of God know God's love personally and demonstrate that back to God Himself? And it isn't through works of righteousness, even though we all might say that, but then to come to a realization that even what I do in church is not just to show God I love Him. God wants a personal relationship with me, not a bunch of things on a to-do list. And the same thing on with my relationship with my spouse. He doesn't want me just to vacuum the floor. He had to tell me this every day for the first several years of our marriage. He would come home and say, I didn't marry a housekeeper or a cook. I married you because I wanted to have a relationship with you. Mm. So his demonstrating that to me day in and day out, and then my having the opportunity to demonstrate that to my own infants and then toddlers and growing children, that it was about my love for them, not what they did for me. And then God was able to then use that healing in my life to show me what does forgiveness mean, and how can I forgive those who have hurt me, and how can I pray for God to heal their hearts and be able to restore our relationship. So I'm really blessed. God gave me this gift of reconciliation with my mother, who was the abuser in our Mm -hmm. home. And most people don't get to have this beautiful closure to their relationship. But God answered my prayers and gave Mm -hmm. that to us so that we 
she was willing to openly repent and ask wow. forgiveness from me and from my husband, and then and then humbly ask if we could start a new relationship. Mm-hmm. So for several years, God reestablished a different kind of love between the two of us and a new, a brand new relationship as two adult women who had seen God do amazing things in restoring our faith. And then and then God took her home just a few short, probably like three years after that. It was very short. Mm-hmm. So that has ever been a new paradigm for me, a new example of what does God's love really mean, that God loves me even no matter how against him I was, even though I came to faith at such a young age, at only four years old. But God loves me even when I'm sinning. God loves me whether I'm doing something amazing at church or whether I am vacuuming my floor at home. God loves me the same if I am a fantastic wife or if I am struggling to even work up any kinds of feelings towards my husband. God loves me no matter what kind of mother I am, no matter what kind of Christian I am, no matter my failures and successes, that it's a relationship. And learning to depend on my relationship with Him and the power of His Holy Spirit completely changed my view of the Christian life and my relationship with Him and then ultimately with those around me. What a great testimony, friends. A a tremendous testimony of the grace of God working even in a, a very dysfunctional raising, and yet uh, God pulls things out and restores the years the locusts have eaten and proves the wonder of his love and the power of his redemption. And that's really the story that Leanne tells in her book, Rockin' Ordinary, Holding It Together with Extraordinary Grace from New Leaf Press. And I encourage you to the resource on this edition of the program. Leanne Garfius, thank you so much for joining us on the Generations Broadcast. We appreciate you very much. And thanks for being open and transparent and sharing your story today. Thank you, Kevin. It was great to talk with you. And you have been listening to the Generations Radio Broadcast. If you'd like to interact with the radio program, email me directly at host at This is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation. <laughs>